Welcome to the O'Reilly Data Show. I'm your host, Ben Lorica. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to remind our listeners that we do have two event series that they can go and attend and learn more about the topics covered in this podcast. The first one is called the Strata Data Conference, which you can find at strataconf.com. The second one is the Artificial Intelligence Conference, which you can find at the AIConf.com. In this episode of The Data Show, I speak with Ria Liu. She's an analyst at China Tech Insights, which is a new research firm that's actually part of Tencent's online media group. If there's one place where AI and machine learning are discussed even more than the San Francisco Bay Area, that would be China. Each time I go to China, I'm constantly surprised about the new applications. Earlier this year, it was impossible to miss bike sharing, and mobile payments seem to be accepted everywhere. And people kept pointing out nascent applications of computer vision, including uh, the use of facial recognition to manage unmanned uh, retail stores. But this episode is not about 2017. It's actually a a peak at uh, 2018 because Rhea and her group are going to release a uh, trends and predictions for China's tech industry report at our Strata Data Conference in Singapore. I hope you enjoy this episode. Ria Liu, welcome to The Data Show. Hey, hi, Ben. Thanks for having me. So let's start out by um, describing what you do at China Tech Insights. But first, let's describe what China Tech Insights is. Sure, yeah. So China Tech Insights is a research unit we had at Tencent's news unit. So few people may know that Tencent actually has a news business in China. It's pretty big and it's it's one of the biggest news portal in China right now. And China Tech Insights uh, affiliate to this news unit. And we used to have another Chinese parent team called Penguin Intelligence. And this Penguin Intelligence team provides Chinese industry insights to Chinese readers. And then we realized there are still um, a very big English-speaking audiences out there who's also eagerly looking for information about Chinese market. So we see why not we just do this a little job for our English audiences out there. So we set up China Tech Insights to introduce the latest trends of Chinese tech industry uh, as well as the Chinese tech market to English-speaking audiences. That's basically what we are doing right now. And uh, what uh, what's your output? In other words, so do you produce re- reports and and other things? Yes, we have published several reports about the Chinese market in the past year. Yeah, we have just set up a year ago. So uh, we provided reports about mobile payments in China, how people use WeChat and other mobile payments tools, and also uh, reports about the new millennial consumers here in China and their digital behaviors, and some other reports about the news, about tech media, and etc. And also, we have some published uh, several analysis about the uh, native innovations here in China about the new products. For example, we published an article about Wang Yi Yanxuan recently, which is a new e-commerce portal here in China, and they have a different business model compared with like Tianmao, like uh, Taobao, or JD.com. 
So we found some interesting things here going on in China, and we try to introduce it to uh, our foreign audiences and also give our insights about these new models with our analysis. So how do you decide what uh, uh, seg- sector or topic to cover? Because in a traditional analyst firm, uh, mm-hmm. uh, either they pick some kind of overarching trend or in most cases, actually, they have clients who, who ask them to, re- mm-hmm. to investigate certain areas. So how do you guys decide? Right. For us, it's more about a balance. It's like a balance between what's new and what's hit in China right now and also what other foreign audiences may find useful. Uh, right. So we don't have a client, but our audiences can be our clients in a sense of like providing useful information. So uh, we pick up things that we think will be useful to our audiences. For example, uh, entrepreneurs in India or uh, investors in Southeast Asia. Like we can provide some new models that we think may apply to their market in the future. And we have some good feedbacks in that way as well. So before we start diving into some of your reports, let's clarify your independence from Tencent, right? So, so mm-hmm. you're, sure, yeah. you're, you're part of Tencent. And to our, our listeners out there who aren't familiar, Tencent is one of the largest uh, tech companies mm-hmm. in China. And so how, are, how do you make sure that you are able to evaluate Tencent objectively? So the news business of Tencent has been ongoing for over 10 years. Uh, it has earned its independence for a long time. And there's no one from, for example, the PR team or international uh, relation teams to interfere with our editorial process. And we had this disclaimer on our websites since the first day. So we have some partnerships with internal teams to earn their perspectives. But we will clarify that's from a Tencent team. And we will also uh, analyze and learn from other teams outside of Tencent. So it's a balance in a new tutorial sense. Everyone's opinions will be shown in the piece instead of just one side uh, opinions is from one team of Tencent. Now, I will make sure to link to the uh, uh, website of China Tech Insights, specifically the part of the site which lists all of the reports. And they have produced many reports. So uh, I'm going to now start talking to Ria about their 2017 trends and predictions for China's tech industry report. So first of all, um, this report contains a lot of charts and data. So give us a little overview of how you how you gather the data for your reports. So we have uh, several different sources of our data, including some survey data from our own platform and also some external data team collaborations. We had two data partners. One is Quest Mobile, which is a Chinese data monitoring firm, and they help us understand how Chinese users are using their smartphone and uh, some like people's MAU, DAUs right now. And we had another team together with us, which is the financial data team from JD.com. So JD.com has a, a consumer finance business and they're helping us to understand the new way people are using microfinance and the consumer finance on all these internet platforms based on their user data. And yes, we had also we did a lot of surveys to understand people's willingness of consume different types of online services. And this is 
the all the sources we have to help us understand the market right now. And most of them are first-hand data that have never been uh, revealed to others. So do you have a uh, relationship with the WeChat Pay group? Because the last time I was in Beijing in July, uh, I was just surprised by how fast uh, WeChat Pay has propagated. You can pay for anything using uh, WeChat Pay. Yes, we are in close uh, relationship with them as well. So uh, they help us understand a lot of things going on right now and a lot of plans they had right now as well. Instead, we have conversations with several different teams of WeChat. As you know, WeChat is already a very big product and they have many teams focusing on different perspe uh, perspectives of the app. So uh, one thing we had conversation with is uh, the WeChat payment team. And we had published a report together with them to understand how people are using their WeChat payment, uh, using mobile payment right now based on WeChat's data. And a lot of things have been surprising to us. Um, so for this report, it's also collaborated with Ipsos, which is a monthly research firm that is quite known to everyone. So one data point which caught our attention is that now there are um, people over 70% found there can live by live with no cash or cash under 100 RMB, which is about no more than $20 to survive in the society more than a week. Even for me, I don't use cash a lot. And every for my everyday life here in China, the only thing I need to use cash is to take public services, for example, public transportation or that. The city governments are right now upgrading all the system to accept a lot of a pay mobile payment uh, methods, such such like NFC, and also they're upgrading the system to accept QR codes, which is very impressive because this means the last point in my life that I have used cash is now uh, vanishing in a way. So you've started alluding to one of the key characteristics of China, which is the widespread use of mobile payment systems. So if you were trying to explain China's use of technology to an outsider, so what are a few other things that you would highlight? Well, mobile payment is definitely one thing. And there's another thing I think people should pay attention to is the media usage here in China, because media take up a large pr proportion of people's everyday life. So here in China, compared with before, people earn their news from news portals from an editorial team who serve as the gatekeepers to your daily information flow. People are now trust put the trust of their uh, this editorial and agenda setting approach to machines. So apps like uh, Toutiao, oh, I, I guess Toutiao yes. is amazing. Right. <laughs> It grows really fast. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's quite a surprise to most news portals, most media professions here in China today. And people are trying to find a balance between uh, the traditional ways of content creating and this new way of content distribution by aggregators fully powered by machines. So at Hotel. Um, people read news based on Toutiao's engine, uh, engines of recommendation. Um, it's, it's purely a black box to most people. Since you don't understand the algorithm, you don't understand how they pick up the things that you are, going, you are most interested into, and they get you right. 
and they get what you need, what you want. And people are spending longer and longer time on this type of、uh, platforms, and it's becoming a big thing. Ashley, can you explain? Because I don't use Douyin because I don't read Chinese, but I do use WeChat a lot.、Uh, mm-hmm. So, can you explain Douyin to me? Because、uh, so, okay, so、uh, they have a machine learning algorithm that curates your feed. But then,、uh, why can't other companies do the same? So, in other words, Ria, what's the lock-in? There's no network effects, right? Well, there's no such a thing as network effect here in the news recommendation process. And yes, there are others who are now following this approach and doing their own、uh, similar types of recommendations. But you know, for data-based algorithms like this. It's also a thing about the data accumulation. So you have the data, and then you have a model, and then you get users. You get more data. The model gets better. Yes, that's the point. So as the first runner in the industry, Total does has an advantage here, and there are many others who are following this trend. And so as time goes, as all these engines becomes more mature, so you know the differences will be very small. In a, I think maybe just one or two years, you know, as all engines gets to know their audiences better, and then it turns to another, another, another thing, which is content providers. You will see because you need to attribute the, you need to distribute the right content to the right audiences, and there is a first thing that you need to have the good contents right. So for contents, you need to buy this copyright. You need to attract all these content providers to your platform. So this is one of the points we point out in our 2017 report that is the content war is going to heating up, and it is happening right now. So platforms, including Tencent News, including Toutiao, are investing big on content providers on all these kind of subsidies and incentives to attract them to this. To their platforms, so they can have the right content that they can distribute、uh, via their algorithm to the right audiences. Because if that's a simple, simple logic, because when users cannot find the things they want to read, and you don't have the things they want to read, even your algorithm is accurate, they are not going to stay on your platform for long, right? So it's now becoming a counter war again. Because、um, after you、uh, improved efficiency of content distribution via these algorithms, it's now back to the origin of the things, which is what kind of contents you have. So, in terms of、uh, content creation in the U.S., the at least the traditional media companies are struggling, right? So. Even、mm-hmm. even the even the brand names like the New York Times not struggling in the sense that、uh, they're going to go out of business, but definitely kind of、right. the the glory days seem behind them. So right, right, who's right. creating content in China? That's a very interesting thing because it's very very different from what's going on in the U.S. In the U.S., you find the you also have a lot of bloggers, vloggers, but in China we call them we media. And what they are doing right now is it's like a general trend going on for several years since、uh, I can say the launch of WeChat's official accounts platforms. People began to write their contents, create their contents, and distributed all these things on this platform, which is WeChat's official uh, official uh, accounts. 
and because all these contents are distributed via WeChat's big network, and here comes the network effects. So um, people began to realize things you wrote and published on traditional news portals on traditional channels are not as well received as contents you distributed and uh, spread via all this network of WeChat. So the way people consume content, at least uh, the when I was in Beijing in July in the subway, you can see people on their phones, and if you look at the phones, right. a lot, a lot of it is on We is WeChat. So is it mostly Ria? Is it mostly text, or are they also watching video, or what kind of content are we talking about? They are both video, audio, and text. And text, I think, took up the uh, primary part. But video is, especially short videos, is an option as well. So define short in, uh, in, in terms of the China landscape. How short are the videos? Normally, like about three, mi- three minutes. And are they like, so when you say we media, these videos are shot by regular people, amateurs? Yes. But here's another thing that is a lot of media professionals, professionally trained media veterans, and now uh, leaving their uh, old organizations and join this amateur uh, community. So they become independent content creators, becoming freelancers together with all those amateurs, and they are improving the quality of this content created. How's the compensation model? Is it advertisement or what? Several different ones. There's like there's uh, native ads for big companies. There's uh, there are also uh, regular brand display ads, which they can collaborate together with WeChat. So on the WeChat official account platform, if you have reached a certain uh, level of traffic, they will invite you to join the kind of how to say it's like a ads league. So you can become one of the ad channels for advertisers if you're willing to. But the proportion is relatively small. So they also, like the video creators, they also, video producers, they are also open to advertisers and to create like interesting interactive stories for them as well. So um, compared with before, nowadays the ad creation in China is not only a thing to the old traditional uh, advertising firms is more open to a lot of different types of agencies, small agencies, small teams even. They're, they may not even be a company, maybe just an individual as well. So um, it's more decentralized in a sense like that. So we we talked about mobile payments. We talked about media in terms of content distribution and content creation. So the other thing I noticed the last time I was in Beijing was bike sharing. It wasn't there the year before, but it took off so so fast. So how did that happen? For bike sharing as a new trend here in China since last year, and it's actually a, a next stage of development of the sharing economy started from Uber and Airbnb and etc. It's kind of a new model adapted to the Chinese society. Here in China, people, there's a, like an extension of the public transport system and in between, you know, like in between every subway station, there are still several miles of ways which people still need to walk or others in other formats, maybe take a taxi, etc. And bike sharing is here to replace this 
uh, other other kind of commuting ways and to um, become substitution to all these other approaches. So for bike sharing, um, there are two primary players. One is Mobike and the other one is Ovo. And they started with different models, actually. So Ovo started uh, a year or two earlier, I think. So they started from the campus. Um, at first, they're just campus public bike system where all students and the faculties in, on the campus can contribute their own bikes to the system. And together with all these bikes they um, purchased by the company themselves, altogether, it provides this kind of public bike rental system to all users on campus. It's kind of the preliminary uh, prototype of this model. And mobile is started. Uh, mobile started in another way. They started from the city at the very beginning, and they have their GPS system embedded on the bike, and it has digital uh, electronic locks that can collaborate together with the app on your phone. These two combined together can help them collect data as well as have a better management system of all these bikes they spread all over the city. So these two systems started on their own and later on they um, learn from each other and become what you have seen in China and in many other cities now in the world. The new bike system, my bike sharing system for the market. So let me ask you this. Was bike sharing in your 2017 prediction? <laughs> it actually bike sharing happened before our report. So it's yeah, yeah. not so, really. Oh, so, so yeah. it wasn't, uh, there wasn't enough indication for you to even suspect that it would take off. Oh, oh, oh uh, no, no, no. They have already happened. Off. Already, oh, they already, oh, yeah, they already oh, I happened. See. I see, I see. So is there. Uh, is there another thing around the corner like that that will be a big thing in 2018, you think? Right. So for our 2070 report, we we did miss one thing. It's the uh, unmanned um, convenience stores here in China. Oh, we didn't, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. It didn't occur to us that it will happen so soon. We saw Amazon Go tested in the U.S., but we... It didn't occur to us the technology or to say the model will be adopted here in China in such a way and so fast. Can you give us a, an, an update? Because uh, when I was there, I saw video and some kind of video and teasers, but I, that, I actually didn't encounter one myself. So are they spreading now? Yes, um, they're at a very early stage and they're trying to spread bit by bit. So I think the first amend convenient box, uh, which is owned by a company called Bingo Box, has just launched here in Beijing. And they have had several ones in Shanghai before. So for a box like that, I haven't tried it all myself because it just launched. But from the videos and people's test articles on that, we saw, so first people need to have an app or have a scanner on their phone. And there will be a scanner uh, also as an identity recognizer on your door. And you need to use that, your scanner or the app, to land the box, recognize who you are, and recognize uh, and record your ID so that you can enter the box. 
and inside the box is just like a convenience store, but there's no people at all. And after you pick up all the things, you need to check out by yourself, just like the self checkout system at CVS, etc. Um, it's no difference. But then there will be a camera that will serve as like the policy. It's it's like a monitoring system, like an identity validation system. Yes, both as an identity validation system, and also they will check whether you have paid for everything you took. Oh wow! 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 So, so it sounds like what you're describing is kind of the commercial application of computer vision, right? So facial recognition, object detection, and object recognition, but combined combined with the uh, mobile payments, right? Because mobile payment compared with cards and other digital payment system is more recognized and more accepted here in China. But as I said, it's still at a very early stage. And this kind of unmanned box is just one type of all, all kinds of what we call now is like the new retailing system here in China. This is the one of all these approaches. And we still have to see whether it's computer vision system and other validation system works as we expected. So, well, if I have time, I will check it out to see whether the Beijing one meets my expectation. <laughs> right. And yeah, there's also an, another type, which is already owned by, um, there's one launched by Alibaba, by its Taobao system. It's called Mr. Hippo. So um, compared with the unmanned idea, is more an uh, application of a complete cashless way of shopping. So they only accept mobile payments. And when you are shopping in the store, you can either pick up the things and go, or you place orders right before all the things you want. So they call it a new way of retailing. So the other thing that actually uh, is very different in China, or not uh, or somewhat different, is e-commerce, or just mm-hmm. e-commerce, or just online commerce, mobile commerce, in the sense that uh, it really is amazing how fast they deliver things, right? So. But right. uh, are there other things, Ria, that are different about e-commerce in China compared to the outside world? Mm, for this one, well, the efficiency of delivery is first thing, as you just said. And the other thing I think right now is more about the uh, how this is what we call consumption upgrade. We discussed that in our report. So in the past, why people like e-commerce because it's it's convenient and also because it's cheap. But now here in China, people are using e-commerce as a way. How to say? There are several uh, brands, e-commerce brands, that are focusing on providing people customized services. Oh wow! So so right. this is uh, is this like a premium, more expensive? Right. It's compared, like before, you won't order your furniture online, right? Because you want to make sure the quality. But now there are all, everything that's including furniture, things like that, expensive items that people ordered completely online and sometimes even customized, uh, customized ones because platforms such as Alibaba, they are trying to develop the tech where people can use AR to evaluate whether all these furnitures actually fit in their home. 
with accurate numbers of all the dimensions or the data they need about their furniture. So like that, even regular users can just evaluate everything, make all those assessments and decide whether they want to buy the thing or not. Wow, so it even combines VR, huh? VR, yeah. Earlier you mentioned a new, another e-commerce company that's not JD or Alibaba that I, I had not heard of, and you said they had a different business model. What was the name of that company again? And describe them in more detail. I think maybe I mentioned Mr. Hippo. So Mr. Hippo is actually uh, still part of Pimor. So, yes, it's actually their fresh goods services. Oh, wow. Wow, wow. So, yes. say, so really, so the delivery time here is hours? Right. And it's within, like, within hours. Both JD.com and Alibaba now develop fresh goods that can be delivered to your door in hours, like vegetables that you need to cook, like, for the night. And you just place orders first, and they then deliver everything to your door within hours. And for Mr. Hippo, what's, what differentiated it from current existing fresh goods service is that it has an offline store as well. So the, the other thing that uh, in China, when uh, I talk to people uh, who do marketing in China, because ha- we've had to do that ourselves because we run technology conferences in mm-hmm. China, uh, there's this notion of the key opinion leader. Mm-hmm. And uh, people say you should work with key opinion leaders in the topics covered in your conference. So explain the role of key opinion leaders in Chinese social media and the media scene in general. So key opinion leaders are just the same as influencers, as we said in a more uh, American context. Uh, what you're doing are similar. But there's, um, so in China, both like, for example, like tech leaders and fashionista can be called key opinion leaders. So they normally have developed a large community of followers um, and they usually have a monetizing model that can monetize directly from these groups. So there are two ways of doing that. The one thing is about e-commerce. Most, uh, mostly for fashionista here in China. And that is uh, easy to understand. Right, and the right. other one is called paid content, or we call it knowledge economy. <laughs> so basically, yeah. if, if I am a KOL, you pay me some money, then I post like a tweet for you. No, 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 that's different. That's just for advertising. But here now, people are willing to pay money, just readers, they're willing to pay money to have more ex- exclusive oh, and wow. more premium content. So you're like, you're, like you're subscribing to the KOL directly. Yes. So there are also several different products built based like that. One is uh, the most known one is called Dedao, which means uh, gained in China. So for this one, all these several, um, how to say, they're more like um, scholars. For example, one of the KOL on this platform is an economics professor from Peking University, actually achieved several hundred millions of RMB revenue on this platform in a year. So there, I think more than 50,000 people subscribed to his economics class online on that product. 
and people are willing to pay just to learn a little like economics tricks every day is a new trend here because people here used to love free contents. The idea of copyrights and intelligence rights used to be really underestimated here in China, but now it's a change. People are willing to pay for things like that. And there's another type of a model which people actually can monetize from KOLs, which is called Circle. You know, on WeChat, we have friend circles. A lot of people got all those premium information because they con- they're connected to some KOLs. And these KOLs may publish some things, some of their opinions or some exclusive information on their WeChat moment. And people, some people develop it into a product. Like now you can pay to join somebody's circle and they can publish exclusive information on that. So it's a different types of subscription and you can have direct conversation with all these KOLs in their circle as well. So is it, uh, is it a subscription in the traditional sense? In other words, if, if I pay to join your circle, that doesn't mean that I can contact you and communicate with you directly on WeChat. Not on WeChat, but you can contact me on that platform. I see. As we close here, let's look ahead to 2018. I know you're in the middle of working on your 2018 report, but are there one or one or two things that you are confident will be in that report? <laughs> yeah, I think maybe, um, well, it's still a maybe, but uh, very likely we're going to include things about smart city in this report. So smart city and also some of the AI planning based on a government, a re- recently released government plan. Um, there will be directions including the AR uh, application in how to build a better city in for better urban planning and also for education. How uh, whether we need to collaborate on programming, computing into uh, primary and secondary education as well. So these are several parts we are looking into right now. So I think I'm confident that smart city may very likely be part of it because it's becoming a new trend. Um, in the past, urban, you know, urban planning is a very complicated thing. And what we are missing there is we can be a little bit lagged behind because of the lack of data we had. But now people have different types of data. For example, I know like, um, Didi is collaborating with several city governments to help them to do the urban planning in terms of traffic, in terms of all the, how do they manage all the traffic light system in the city and also all the bus system. So this is how um, city governments in all levels are now collaborating together with all these tech companies to have a better application of their data and then to improve the city system we have right now in China, especially when, you know, many big cities here in China have big problems of congestions, have big problems with overpopulations as well. So this is this going to be a very important part for the tech companies here in China, and especially in terms of their data application and their contribution to the society. Well, uh, this has been great. And actually, that's a great way to end. This notion of smart cities is a big theme of our conference in Singapore, because as you know, Singapore is even uh, builds itself as a smart nation. So thank you again, Ria. 
Thank you very much, Ben. It's a great pleasure to talking to you and your audiences here. You can follow Real View on Twitter at Yushan underscore L. Thank you for joining us. If you like the show, you can subscribe and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn.com or SoundCloud and never miss an episode. 